Well, guys, as we said uh, earlier today, we are finishing up our This Is Us series. And what I'd invite you to do is pull out your phone, or if you're old school and you're using a paper Bible, pull out your paper Bible and open it up to Acts chapter 2, which Tony read just a few minutes ago. And the reason I'm having you do this is a little bit redundant seeming, but the reason I'm having you do this is because whatever version you prefer, whatever version you like, is going to have a little bit different language in it. And that's instructive to us. We can learn from that. We can learn from the different perspectives of the different translators of our scriptures, mainly because most of us, including myself, don't make a living studying the Greek language. We don't understand it. We barely understand English a lot of times. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to use all the variety of versions that are being studied in the room to inform us and teach us. I thank Tony for doing the reading and having the courage to do that earlier. Probably the number one people, number one reason people don't read the scripture in church is because they're afraid of public speaking, which he's nailed that, right? And number two, they're afraid of all the big Bible words they have to read in front of people. And Tony did a great job. So I appreciate that, brother. Yay. So what I'd like to invite you to do is take a little trip with me back in the life of Jesus before he died, before he went to the cross, to the grave, rose again, and then ascended into heaven. Rewind the clock a little bit to where he's teaching his disciples about the fact that he's going to be doing this one day. He's going to be dying for them on the cross and miraculously rising from the grave. And at that point in time, the disciples really didn't understand that that's what Jesus was getting ready to do. Here's part of the warning that he was giving them about what he was getting ready to accomplish on the cross. This is in John chapter 16 in the gospel. And the scripture says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, this is from the NIV, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now what word does your version of the scriptures describe the Holy Spirit there? What is used there? Just say it out. Helper. Helper. Counselor. Counselor. What else? Did I hear comforter? Okay, good. Any others? Helper, comforter, counselor, advocate, friend. These are all truly important when describing the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that the last eight weeks have been an abject study, a study of the Holy Spirit, His character, how He operates and through whom He operates. And we can't close this series without giving him a nod as to all his different roles and describing him in all the ways that he works. Look at what else Jesus says about him. Jesus says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in who? Jesus. That's still the case, isn't it? Verse 10, about righteousness... Because I, Jesus, am going to the Father. He's talking about going through death to the Father, rising again from the grave, where you can see me no longer. And then verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world, and who's that? The prince of this world. Let's read a little bit further and clarify, right? Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is Satan. So Satan is here, working amongst us, which... When we're attacked by Satan and his forces, or when we run into tough times in life, that calls for our faith, doesn't it? To lean on God and 
to lean on following a Jesus who we cannot see on a daily basis, right? That's what faith is about. But the prince of this world now stands condemned, Satan does. And verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked God the question, God, why don't you tell me why this is happening? Mainly the reason is usually because we just can't handle the answer yet. So God is unveiling his will that we trust in him and grow in him and follow him through circumstances of life. And sometimes we can't handle the whole answer. So God gives us just enough to keep us growing and learning. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So this is the main function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit kind of interprets life for us. The Holy Spirit unravels the mysteries of life around us and helps us to trust God more and more, no matter what the circumstances of our lives bear out. Now let's say this. Jesus was celebrating the Passover when he said to the disciples, this is my body and this is my blood. That was one of three major festivals that the Israelites celebrated every year. There was another one called Pentecost. Pentecost is what we're learning about today. And Pentecost literally means uh, 50 days. It was a feast of weeks in that there are how many days in a week? Seven. And in 50 days, there are seven sevens. Seven weeks plus one day. And that one day, the extra added day, was the barley harvest. It was the beginning of the harvest of the barley in the fields, where the Israelites would spend those four or those seven weeks plus one day harvesting barley and preparing to make what out of the barley? Okay, they make bread. All right, and some other stuff, right? <laughs> some other fun stuff too, right? But the main use of the barley was to make bread. And in fact, after the Feast of Weeks period, after that seven set of weeks plus one day, the 50 days, they would celebrate Pentecost. And Penta is 50 days. They would celebrate this festival called Pentecost. And the idea was they were supposed to make some yummy barley bread and take it to the temple and offer that in worship. This was the bread that gave them life. And they were to offer it in worship. So on Pentecost, after Jesus had sacrificed of himself on the cross and died and been buried and rose again from the grave and ascended into heaven, and sent the disciples out to share the good news that God now loves all people through Jesus Christ, gives his son, Jesus, for all people, and calls all people to faith. Fifty days after that Passover meal, there was another uh, meal that was supposed to be celebrated, another festival, and it was Pentecost. And the scripture says that at that time, at the Pentecost feast, the disciples were gathered around getting ready to celebrate the festival along with 
a hundred of their closest friends and people from all over Jerusalem and a miracle happened. What happened was the Holy Spirit fell on them in a way that was promised by Jesus. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem so that the Holy Spirit may come to you. They didn't know when the Holy Spirit was supposed to come. They didn't have any clue. But the Holy Spirit happened to drop on the festival of Pentecost. The festival of Pentecost is where a sacrifice of bread was to be made from the barley harvest. So they didn't have any clue that any of this had anything to do with any of the rest of it. But is it an accident that the Holy Spirit dropped on the day of Pentecost when they were to celebrate a harvest, a gathering of wheat, a reorganizing of a basic growth material into something that could feed people and care for them and nurture them? Is it luck? Is it blind coincidence that the Holy Spirit would drop on a day when bread was going to be produced from something that came out of the ground by the blessing of God? No, it wasn't just blind, dumb luck. It was God's brilliance, His sovereignty. It was His design. And what happened was those disciples were gathered together in one place and were worshiping, and all of a sudden the Scripture says fire like tongues of fire formed over their heads. And the image up on screen, if you're listening by podcast, you can see a group of 12 guys standing around and there's like fire hovering over their heads. You can imagine that when that fire dropped, not only did the people who were watching what the disciples were doing probably freak out a little bit, right? But then God dropped another level on the church when he made the disciples miraculously able to speak in the different dialects that were represented all around the room. Now raise your hand if you speak more than one language. And English and Southern don't count. Now we've got some people in the room who are bilingual and some people who know a little French and folks that are you know, experts in Spanish and folks that know a little bit of this language and that. I know enough of other languages to be dangerous. I might be able to survive in a foreign country if somebody put me there, depending on the foreign country, right? England does not count. Thank you, Stephanie, for clarifying. That's exactly right, right? Nor, uh, nor does Australia. Okay, but anyway, those kinds of places, right? But what happened in that room that day was a miraculous rendering of the Holy Spirit in language where now the disciples who were becoming apostles we're now able to interpret the things of God in a language that the average person could understand. There were people from all these weird places that Tony aptly read a few minutes ago that had come in to festival, uh, the festival of weeks and to celebrate in Jerusalem. They'd come from all different places and they could hear the wonders of God in their own language. Now, what in the world does that have to do with you and me? Very simply, the Holy Spirit's work is summed up in three ways. The Holy Spirit makes faith in God accessible to people. And that's all people. Whether they're very little people like Maya, very tall, grown-up people like us, all manner of people in between. And 
people that speak different languages and have different customs. The gospel is accessible to all people through Jesus. The gospel is also relational. It is shared person to person. It's not shared via distance from an untouchable entity. The faith is shared through you and me, basic, average, everyday people. And then the gospel is transformative. In other words, the gospel message doesn't simply come into my brain and sit and percolate there for a while for my own good. It comes into my heart as well, and it transforms me into a different person, into the person that God has destined me to be. And it doesn't just simply sit there for my own benefit. It then goes where? It goes out from me and is shared to other people who need to hear how much God loves them and how much he did for them when he sent his son Jesus to die for them as well as for us. So the Holy Spirit's work happens in me and then it happens where? Through me in the life of other people. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, no, it doesn't. Not to me, it doesn't. I don't have the Holy Spirit working through me right now. I'm not doing anything with the Holy Spirit. I would disagree with you. Just by you being you, who you are, in the faith that you have, God is already using you. Perhaps in ways that you don't understand or accept. God's already producing growth in faith through you. Maybe you're just becoming more aware of it. And that faith is destined for a harvest. It's designed to grow, to be harvested, and turned into something that can nourish and feed others. Thus the nature of Pentecost. People are able to hear the wonders of God in a way that makes sense to them, but not only for their intellect, but for marching orders to inform them of what their life is called to be and destined to be. We are part of the interpretation of the wonders of God to the world. The Holy Spirit brings that interpretation with meaning and power through you and me. Now, for those of us in the room who are bilingual, maybe you've had the opportunity to interpret something for someone. When you interpret a concept from one language to another, what you're doing is you're establishing a connection that wasn't there before. You're saying something in a different way where the other person is able to understand it and receive it as truth. You're a functionary in communication. There's a communication happening where somebody's life is changed by the clarification of language that they didn't understand before. That's you and me. You and me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are involved in interpreting the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about your life that way? Have you ever thought about being an interpreter of the things of God? So that if you're in a relationship with somebody, whether it's at work or home or wherever, where they think God is just a bunch of gobbledygook and foolishness, you're able to speak truth into the life of that person where you don't believe the things of God are foolishness, but what? Truth. You see, no one can disprove the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life or mine. 
We can argue about facts all day long, whether or not there are actually tracks on the bottom of the Red Sea from chariots. We can argue about that archaeologically all day long. But what someone can't do is say, God has not changed your heart, Tim. Or Stephanie, God has not made you to love Jesus and follow him. Or Lindsay, God has not saved your soul through the miraculous death and resurrection of Jesus. Nobody can say that to you and prove it. You ever thought about that before? The proof is in the pudding. In this case, the bread. The bread of life living in you. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And this bread will never be what? Hungry. That bread of life is living in you. And you will never need to be spiritually hungry again because Jesus has done what it takes to fill you now and forever. Amen. And there's no living person on this planet who can point to you and say, that's not true. There's no proof against it. There's only the proof of it in your life as your life has changed and grown. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're afraid though. Sometimes we're afraid that we're not good enough or we're afraid that we're not in a position in life to be used by the Holy Spirit. We're kind of like this guy who you're going to see on network TV one day when the Wizard of Oz is shown. Who's this guy? He's the cowardly lion, right? And the cowardly lion lacks one key ingredient. What is that? Courage. You and I often lack the courage to be who we already are. And sometimes we're tempted to be somebody we're not. Somebody who has it all together in spite of our God. But we're not that person, are we? We are a mess. We are broken. We are downtrodden. We are depressed. We're broke. We're lonely. We're forsaken. And because of Jesus, we are healed of all those things. We have people. We have healing inside. We have hope. We have faith. And it's because of Jesus. And sometimes we're tempted to forget that that's what we have and that that's who we are and we think of ourselves as somebody who isn't good enough to be the person God has made us to be. And so we clam up and we get scared. We choke. We freeze. We think that we're less. And God comes back again and again and again and says, you know what? I am going to remind you of who you are and whose you are. The bread of life is in you and with you every single day twice on Sunday the bread of life is living in you and working through you and there is no need to fear there's no need to be afraid you know as we were uh, preparing the message for this week uh, Pastor Dan Grissom shared a story with me that I thought was kind of cool to pass on to you and I don't have a personal story that's as good as this one so I'm just going to steal his right outright. And he gave me permission to do that. When he was a kid, 
Pastor Dan was a skinny little rail of a, of a young man. And if you know Pastor Dan, he's pretty much still the same way. Hi, Pastor Dan. Love you, brother. Uh, he's still as skinny as a rail. And back when he was a kid, he was playing that ever-dreaded game in gym called Dodgeball. If you remember Dodgeball, maybe you have fond memories of Dodgeball, depending on how aggressive you were. Maybe you have fearful memories and dreaded memories of Dodgeball. That would have been me as well. I had probably quarter-inch thick glasses when I was playing Dodgeball, and so when that Dodgeball would be coming at me, I didn't know if it was coming over here or over here or over here because my vision was kind of changed by the glasses, right? Pastor Dan, though, he was skinny as a rail, and man, he was always the target. And he shared with me that he used to, he used to do this strategy to preserve his life during dodgeball games where he would stand in the very back of the group. Did you ever have that experience where you stood in the back of the room in dodgeball and after everybody else had been eliminated, maybe you had a chance, right? So Pastor Dan shared with me a story where he actually survived an entire game of dodgeball one time and he was the last remaining person on his team. And the guy who was throwing the ball at him was throwing the ball at him in such a way that we think he was left-handed because he was throwing to the right. And so Pastor Dan's friends would yell to him, you know, move to the left, which in his language was move to the right. They'd say, move to the left, move to the left. So as long as Dan would step away from the path of the ball, then he could survive. But he was listening to his friends as they were instructing him with each shot that came, move this way, move this way, move this way. And the ball would come and would miss him because he had somebody else whispering in his ear from the other side of the gym, as it were, yelling, move, move this way, move this way, move this way. He was able to anticipate with the help of his friends what the next move was. The reason he shared this story with us is because he believes, as we do, as I do, the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is live. He's with you in the moment. And sometimes he instructs you to move to the left. Sometimes it's to the right. Sometimes it's not to avoid the dodgeballs of life, but sometimes it's to be in the path of somebody who needs to hear from God. But it's like a still, small voice. Maybe you will hear language. Maybe you will hear some language. Or maybe it will just be uh, an intuition, an insight that comes into your mind that you didn't think of or couldn't have thought of on your own. But the one thing the Holy Spirit will always do in you and through you is lead other people to Jesus. His objective is to lead other people to the bread of life. In you and through you. This is the bread that we celebrate on Pentecost. This is the bread that was celebrated and shared when the language barrier was overcome 2,000 years ago. And the message we could take away from that is that there is no longer any human barrier between the human race and the living God through Jesus. He intends to and will speak through you and me 
in a language that we can understand and the other person can understand. Have you ever thought about that before? You are an interpreter of the living God. That is what you are. And there is nothing but power in that for your life. There's no longer a need to be afraid. There's no fear in the work of the Holy Spirit. Only freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from pain. Freedom from retaliation. Freedom from not believing that you are the beloved child of God that you are. And freedom from the disbelief that God intends to use you to save the lives of other people. And that's from the very youngest of us to the very oldest and all in between. We are all there with flames of fire, tongues of fire over our heads, giving us the words to speak, the language to speak that gives hope to people. Do you believe that that's you? You know what? Even if you don't, it's still true. Even if you don't, it's still true. And God will lead you in that belief now and forever because He intends to use you to save the world around you. Do you believe that? If you do, amen. If you don't, it's happening anyway. Let it happen. Let it happen every single day, twice on Sunday. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to participate in what you're doing. Thank you for the power you bring into my life. Thank you for saving it and for claiming it as yours. And thank you for setting it on fire. God, as I watch regular old fire, fire changes things. We can touch it and be burned by it, or we can use it to be warmed by it. It changes things. And so I pray that you would transform and change my heart just the way the Holy Spirit's fire is made to do. That you would help me to shed my fear. That you would help me to remember who I am in you. That I'm called to be a part of the bread of life that you've made Jesus to be. And that you intend to save people through my life. So God, as I lay my life before you and confess to you, that sometimes I forget this and I work against this truth by my own fear. I ask that you would embolden me by the power of the Spirit, that you would give me the words to speak and the loving arms to share, to work for, and in, to embrace others who need your love and need to hear from you and need to see you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is the bread of life, the one who harvests a great harvest in me, for great things in your kingdom. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen, Amen.